Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. I'm still joined by Anne here in studio. And again, it's a great pleasure to have joining me on the end of the Skype line again, uh, Margie Kennedy from Dublin. And uh, just with my listeners again, I, I spoke with Margie, well, I spoke with Margie directly after uh, and Namina that uh, she was she was um, part of in Limerick there recently. Uh, people, in fact, some of the listeners might have even been there. It was a novena for St. Jared Magella, I think it was, Margie, wasn't it? That's right, St. Jared Magella. Uh, and you were there Thank for... Yes. And you were there for about nine days of that. Yes, the nine days, yes. I was I was fascinated when I when when I I just happened to come into the room and 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 I heard it on because as I remember as I remind people again that sometimes maybe people can't get to mass in their own local church, but you can go online and, and get mass in, in various places and and we often go on to novena.ie which is the Redemptist Church there in Remick, and often hear and uh, hear mass there and of course listen to people like Margie. So I'd invite listeners now at the moment for about thirteen or fourteen minutes just to sit back. And listen to what Margie told the congregation there that particular evening. Good evening, everybody. As Father said, my name is Margie Kennedy. I'm married to a Tipperary man from Thurles, and we have two adult children in their 20s. We live in Dublin, but I'm a country girl originally from County Kilkenny, so I hope that's okay in Limerick. When Father Seamus asked me to speak at this novena about what prompted me to give up my nursing career, become a mature student at third level, and then go into lay ministry, I had to do some serious reflecting back on my life. I don't know that I can point to one particular thing that caused the shift in direction. What I do know is that it was a series of events which by themselves didn't seem particularly significant at the time. Noreen Nerian, in her autobiography, Listen with the Ear of the Heart, described at one point about how her spiritual development seemed to progress at seven yearly intervals. While I can't claim exactly the same, I do think it roughly matches a pattern in my own life. It's as if there is an invisible thread joining one event to another, resulting in a strong sense of being led all along. So what led me from there to here? My story has to start with the gift of faith, and an awareness of and desire for prayer. It also involved making choices, ones which built up my faith, and taking steps to nurture it whenever and however I could. It involved trusting in God and his plans for me. As I've gotten older, I realize that daily prayer is essential to maintaining my faith development. What I've also come to appreciate is that it doesn't matter so much how or what I pray, as that I pray. I had three particular incidents in my childhood that were significant in teaching me about prayer. The first happened when I was seven. We lived for a short while in Goresbridge, County Kilkenny, and I was in first class, and the Bridgetine nun who was teaching us invited us to tiptoe out into the hallway to see the newly erected crib under the stairs. It was the month of December. We gathered around it, full of excitement, at the unexpected adventure from the routine. At that time, nuns were the full habit, more the full habit, so all you could see of Sister Flannan was her face, and it was illuminated by the light in the crib. And as she told us the story of the baby Jesus, her smiling face seemed to me like the face of a beautiful angel. 
I remember vividly feeling this story was the most magical story I'd ever heard. As an adult looking back, it was probably my first experience of wonder and awe in God's presence. To this day, I can't look at a crib without remembering that feeling back then, and I realize that faith in Jesus was planted in my heart that December morning. The second incident happened about five months after the nativity scene, around the time of my first Holy Communion. My maternal grandfather was working at the time as a night watchman in Cleary's department store in O'Connell Street in Dublin. He wrote me a letter which I still have. In it he apologised because he was rostered on nights and so would not be able to come down for my first communion day. What he wrote next somehow rekindled the sense of wonder and awe I'd felt on hearing the nativity story. He wrote, Dear Marjorie, to congratulate you on reaching the point in life where you receive God himself. Saturday will be the holiest day of your life. May you always keep that purity. How I wish I was as pure as you are now, with you loving your God and he loving you. I'm sorry I cannot be present to share in your great joy. You know you are the most important person in the world to me right now. God bless you. Unquote. In August, I attended the World Meeting of Families and at one of the talks on passing on the faith and the special role of parents and grandparents in that role, the point was made of the importance of talking to young children about our faith and of telling them stories from the Gospels and in that way giving them an experience, an encounter with Jesus. My grandfather's words to me about me loving my God and he loving me became engraved that day not only on my heart but on my soul. The next incident happened in Gores Bridge also. I was back there as a boarder for the five years of secondary school. There was another nun there whom I loved. She above anyone influenced me to the fact that God was someone we could just talk to every day in our own words. She instilled in me the notion that God was a loving God, there to help us at the asking. Mother Genevieve always started every class with a prayer, but it was a made-up prayer, as if she was telling God very ordinary things that were concerning us. She wasn't afraid to use humour either in talking to God. She would chuckle as she asked him to inspire her to somehow succeed in drilling some Latin into us. And she'd some job, I'll tell you. I found that very comforting, and I still do. And I was struck on Monday morning when Father Seamus was talking about St. Alphonsus' attitude to prayer and how he recommended prayer as a familiar conversation with God. And it struck me that Mother Genevieve's attitude to prayer was a classic example of that. Fast forward seven or eight years and talk of career choices. It was an easy one for me, as I had always wanted to be a nurse and never gave anything else a second thought. At the age of 15, my first job summer job was in the hospice in Harold's Cross, which at the time was called the Hospice for the Dying, it was written in wrought iron over the gate. I got a very good grounding there in nursing, I'd have to say, and the care of a dying person. After I left school, I worked there again for six months, and then I went to Vincent's to train as a nurse. Then I went to the Rotunda to do midwifery, and then I ended up in Jervis Street as um, to train as a specialist nurse in renal dialysis. And it was lovely this morning. This girl came up after Mass, and she'd actually 
uh, Nula is her name. She actually trained in Jervistry 34 years ago, and she came down and opened the dialysis unit in Limerick. So I was delighted to meet her. Um, so anyway, uh, being on dialysis is not easy, I can tell you that. And it's very, very challenging for the patients and for their families. So with an awareness of that, I trained as a counsellor. And I ended up in 1989 becoming the first renal nurse counsellor in Ireland. It entailed offering a counselling service to people diagnosed with chronic renal failure and to their families. Not everyone required or availed of counselling, but many did. It was wonderful to see people get successful kidney transplants and get on with their lives. Sadly, some were not so lucky, and life for them was and is very challenging. It taught me to be grateful for my health and to take nothing for granted. I was a nurse counsellor for 23 years until 2012, when quite unexpectedly, I suddenly decided to take early retirement. I, trained, I changed track altogether. I went to college as a mature student, over 50 plus fat, and studied theology and philosophy. After four years, I continued another year and did a master's in applied spirituality. And the first job I got after qualifying was with the Redemptorists as a part-time occasional missioner. And after hearing my attempts at singing this week, maybe I should have stuck to the nursing. So here I am tonight. I also now work two days a week as a catechist, working closely with an inner city school in Dublin to assist the parents in supporting their children's preparation for the sacraments and their own faith development. Throughout my life, I've been involved in my local parish as much as possible, and because we moved a lot when I was a child, I now live in the same place for 27 years, so I love the sense of community I get from my local parish, and I like to help out where I can. To return to the question, what prompted me to leave nursing? The answer is a combination of things, including heartbreak and burnout, neither easy to admit. Because I had worked for so long at the same job, I got to know the people on dialysis very well. It got to the stage that I was experiencing the end of life for some of them. When you've known people for a long many years, it becomes more difficult to maintain professional boundaries. I found myself becoming very upset by the deaths of people I'd known for a long time. Some of these people had shared their thoughts and feelings with me, and I found I was carrying some of them in my heart. Then, for some reason, in the last few years, I noticed that issues of a spiritual nature were coming up. I felt unqualified to address them. That got me to wondering if perhaps I should consider changing to chaplaincy. A priest in the hospital advised me to do a theology degree if I wanted to make a change, and at the time that seemed a total impossibility, and I put it out of my mind entirely. Then one day a certain patient died whom I'd known since he was 17 years old. He was in his early 40s and younger than me. His death was a difficult one, and I knew I couldn't continue in the same job anymore. My heart finally broke. I saw an ad in a nursing magazine about taking early retirement, so I took the opportunity. The strange thing was, I had no doubts at all it was the right thing to do. I felt very strongly, and still do, that I was being led somewhere. I don't know where, but it didn't matter. The Holy Spirit is in charge. It was a great privilege to be able to study in college for four years. It was a challenge to be among people even younger than my own children, but it was a good experience. It was also a huge eye-opener to me to realize that some people were studying theology who openly admitted that they did not believe in God. 
It highlighted for me the importance of people of faith witnessing to that faith. By our baptism, we became part of the family of faith, and we need to share it with others. That must be our mission. I remember being upset in college by an offhand comment of a lecturer in response to a comment of mine. He said, You are not in the pews now. You are in the academy. That arrogant comment has helped me focus on what my mission is now. I want to encourage the faith of those of us still sitting in the pews and hopefully encourage others to join us. I believe passionately that faith is the most important gift we have. Even if it is only the size of a mustard seed, by sharing in community we can nurture and support each other to strengthen and grow in our faith. By praying together and for each other, we can sustain the church, which is the people gathered, not the building. Jesus has assured us that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he is here among us. While the opportunity to study is wonderful and to be recommended, nevertheless, I believe that faith is passed on from our hearts, not our heads. It is more important to believe than to understand. How do we cultivate belief? We practice, practice, practice. We keep coming together to praise God and pray together. We light candles for each other. We pray for our dead. We take responsibility to educate ourselves about our faith, read Catholic publications and books, listen to religious programs on radio and television, read scripture, pray the rosary, talk about our faith, be silent before the Blessed Sacrament, and come to a novena. Get involved in parish initiatives, especially those that develop our faith. Faith in Jesus Christ compels us to make choices. We are either for him or against him. Having read about St. George Magella's life, it struck me that he is very in tune with what Pope Francis is currently calling us all to, a life of holiness. St. George's ruling mission in life was to do the will of God always, no matter what unlikely form that will might assume. The reason I am now in lay ministry is a combination of events which linked up to strengthen a faith which has accompanied me. Faith is the foundation stone for everything else in my life. Personally, I feel compelled to do whatever I can to pass on the faith and to encourage all of you to do the same. We are the church and Jesus needs us. What occurs to me is that life sometimes brings us to a cul-de-sac and we find ourselves staring at a blank wall. Just remember that even if one part of our life changes, for whatever reason, God is not finished with us yet. He has a plan for each of us. We can take comfort from St. George Magella's example and trust in God's will. There's a line in St. John's Gospel which summarizes it very well. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you. So, Margie, thank you very much indeed again for, for sharing that, um, that wonderful story with us. It's, it's, it's so inspirational as far as, I was, uh, as far as I'm concerned. For the listeners out there, I'm sure, uh, for, for listeners who will listen to us now. I tell you, you're some lady who, at the age of 50-plus VAT, uh, leaving a career of nursing, and then taking up something yes. completely completely different, which was going to study for four years in college and so on and so forth. You must have really believed in what you were going to do, Margie. Um, 
Yes, I suppose I did. I, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I really believed this was a great opportunity. I was encouraged by my parents, and my father in particular was very encouraging um, with the whole idea of studying, and um, that had as well. It was great encouragement, and my husband was very encouraging. It's great too because we we all we always need that, that that bit of encouragement when we when we're making these these large steps in our life. So, after you studied and after you got your degree and fair dues, do you went on to do a master's? Then, what did you end up doing then um, after your study? Well, well, I was very keen to to use it practically, you know, to to, to convert it into action of some description. And I, I was involved and and am involved in my own parish. But I still felt there was more I could do, but I didn't know what it was. So what I used to do was every now and then check the, the website for the Dublin Archdiocese and just see whether any jobs or what was coming up, that type of thing. And also, I, I think it was actually the Irish Catholic that I saw uh, in a corner, kind of at the end of a page, the ad for the Redemptorist Lay Missioners. And I'd never even heard of such a thing. And then when I read about it, I thought, well, that sounds very interesting that's how it started really so I applied as a lay missioner with the Redemptress lucky enough to be accepted and that started another whole adventure and as well as that then you also I mean how many years have been have you been working with those now oh just one I only started in September this is October a year year in um, 13 months well done so I've been that's all I've, I've been on three, you see, it, it works out at about three or four missions a year. Okay. So I, I've done three missions, at parish missions, and then the actual novena in Limerick was my first novena. Okay. And, and so I'd say there's a fair bit of preparation involved um, if you have to take part in these, these missions. Yes, there is. Um, because there's a, there's a theme of liturgy every day. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's, the, the, a lot of work goes goes into doing a mission. The redemptors go ahead about at least even be six months, and they meet with the the parish, with the parish pastoral council, and with various different people in the parish, and everybody gets involved. That's the beauty of it, because it calls community together, and everybody is invited to participate. Uh, nursing homes aren't left out. Schools aren't left. Anywhere that people gather in the parish is involved in the preparation. And then, depending on the needs of the parish, then the Redemptorists will decide what kind of liturgy to put on every evening in, in a kind of in communication with the people of mm. the parish. Yeah. Mm. So, every, so there, there, are, there are kind of same themes, but different themes depending. I, I can, yeah, I can, under, I, I can take that. You mentioned there, during your talk, uh, you said that there's a series of events in your life that did not appear significant at the time, but there was an invisible thread there linking the parts together, feeling they'd been led all along. Mm. I would like to expand on that a little bit now. Okay, I'll try. Mm. Um, I suppose it was when Father Seamus asked me to, to do the talk in the first place. Mm. It got me It got me thinking mm. and looking back. And I suppose when I was doing the... The um, applied spirituality as well. We were asked to kind of journal about our spiritual development. Mm. So I suppose that that, they, that that idea kind of first came to me then. Gosh, there's actually there's actually it's like joining dots in a little in a yeah. little picture. 
Mm-hmm. You see, and then there's a picture evolving or developing. And you know that whole idea of synchronicity? Yeah. You think things, you know, things happen for a reason and there's, there's connections. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, looking back, um, there was always this desire to, to know more about God, more a desire to be able to pray uh, and a desire to be able to appreciate things. And one thing led to another. Like, I suppose it was in the early 2000s, I did a very short spirituality course in the parish here. Mm-hmm. And then that, that, that gets you to kind of open your mind yeah. to maybe read yourself. Mm. And then it kind of gives you the courage, well, maybe I could go to that talk and all that kind of thing. Oh, that, and yeah. one, mm. it, all, it all it kind of snowballs and it grows and it grows and it grows. And then you start to network as well. And people say, oh, you might like this or you might like that book or whatever. And it gets you talking about your faith and all that helps. Yeah, I like that. But myself myself, we were, uh, we're just speaking about this just before um, just before we came back to part two there, and we mentioned about journaling, and I would say to yourself that, indeed, I'd done the same thing myself there recently. I, I, I decided to write my own faith journey. And as you mm-hmm. said, there's certainly, when you start going back over your life and over your faith journey, you can certainly mm-hmm. see the threads. And I think, I, I love the thing that you said there. You said, you end up meeting loads of people similar to yourself searching and looking for to develop their faith further and you end up networking mm-hmm. and you end up finding out and I'll go there and I'll try out that and what was that like mm-hmm. and oh yeah mm-hmm. so important I, I, it is so important it's so important for people to talk to you because I think there's a lot more people with faith than we know about yep. because we're so inundated with the negativity of the media and I suppose all that has gone on in the church mm-hmm. which is there's a big burden on people. And yet there's faith and there's hope. And if we're able to share that with each other, and that helps. Yeah. And and, and you said that as well. You mentioned um, later on, you said that the most important gift is our faith. And so you, you took steps yourself to nurture that faith. But you said prayer is so yeah. important. Daily prayer is so important to faith development. Oh, I think without us, we're, we're on... Soap, because then the ego takes over. Mm. You have to, you have to have. Uh, I suppose you have to connect each day. It's like it's like you can't have a cup of tea in the morning by plugging in the kettle. No, you 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 need, mm. you need to plug into God every day, and that reminds us of something far greater than ourselves. And I think it also helps us to trust. You know that whatever is ahead, that we're not on our own. God is with us, and that we do by daily prayer. So so important. I also like the, the, the idea you mentioned uh, later on again, where you say that, that we need to take responsibility to educate ourselves about our faith by reading Catholic, pub, uh, Catholic publications, listening to TV programs, and so on and so forth. And you remind us that to cultivate our faith, we need to practice, practice, practice. And you just mentioned there about the world and all the negativity and so on and so forth. But we do have an alternative. We do have a choice, as you mentioned choices early on in your talk. We do have choices. We can turn that stuff off. And maybe dip a little yes. bit more into Catholic publications and, and so on and so forth. I agree a hundred percent because I, I can't remember offhand now, but there's a beautiful reading. I think it's Paul to the Ephesians to surround yourself with everything that's good. Yeah, we don't have we turn off the television. You don't have to. I, I stopped buying the newspaper. I only buy it once or twice a week. Yep. Uh, and when I read the Irish Catholic, I read from cover to cover, mm. and I can't understand why people aren't buying it. You mightn't agree with everything in it, yep. but it, it opens your eyes to things. Yes. 
I mean, put it this way. There's, there's so much negativity. Turn off the radio and put on a piece of music. Go for a walk and look at the trees. Exactly. So much out there. God is falling over himself to show himself to us. If we don't look our eyes. I couldn't agree with you more there. Also, uh, also as part of your talk, uh, you also mentioned about um, that in the recording we've just heard, you say that life sometimes brings us to a cul-de-sac. We find ourselves placed in a brick wall, and we, we, can't, we, we need to remember that, that when we face with these challenges in life, that God is not finished with us. He's, al- he's always got something else for us to do. That, that worked out for yourself, too. You, you were probably at that stage in nursing when... You probably felt, yeah, I, I want a bit of a break for whatever reason it was. But God had a plan for you. Well, what was the last bit of that, John? Sorry? But God had a plan for you. God, yes, God's yes. plan for you wasn't yes. something you had in your in your daily plan for the last number of years, 20 years or so, but, 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 but maybe it was working away there. Maybe it was working away there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would never, 10 years ago, I would never have envisaged and this conversation, mm. I would never have envisaged anywhere different than at work. But I think, I think as well that when you when you work with people that are sick, when you're close to people who are sick, I, I was always struck by the fact: is how am I so lucky that I haven't got serious sickness mm. yet? Yeah. I, and I, I genuinely believe that. I saw so many people who were kind of flying high, and then all of a sudden they're struck down. And they have to, there's a challenge of re, re, re-planning their life, you know, everything turned yes. upside down. And yet, yet you know, the, it, it comes right in the end. Somehow they, 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 can get, they can get through things they never thought they could. So that, that kind of helps you to realise that God is there all the time. God will make, make a way, as we said in the first, in the first piece of music. Just uh, just two more things uh, just before we go for a bit of, second bit of music because I know we must move on a little bit. What would you say to listeners out there, yourself, Maggie, who, who may be struggling to pass on their faith to the, maybe to their children these days? You've had children, we all have children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. And sometimes we find it hard to pass on the faith for whatever reason. Maybe it's not accepted by, by, by the children, it's not accepted by society. But people are struggling out there. What would you say? I'd say take. I would say take courage and keep keep going, and trust that that it's not down to us really. It's down to God. God's going to do the work. Good. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and all we have to do is be be the witness that that we we ought to be. And and what I notice, especially with my kids, they don't necessarily go to mass as often I w- as I would like. Mm. But yet they'll often say to me, "Mama, you say a prayer for such and such." Yeah. Or. Only doing exams today when you say a prayer. Yeah. So by our example, by our example, we, we're passing on more than we realise. And, and after that, leave it to God. Don't get despondent about it, and always hold them in prayer. And that way, God is doing the work. That's what, that's what I'd say. I like it. As we finish up this little conversation, and then we'll go for the next piece of music. Maybe you could share a little prayer with us that we more might be open to travel the journey of life as the Holy Spirit is calling us a bit similar to yourselves. Maybe a little prayer of encouragement to ourselves. Asking okay. the Holy Spirit, trust in the Holy Spirit. Okay. Lord, help us to trust in your plan for us. When the way ahead seems daunting or unclear, help us to rest in you, to hang on in there and wait, knowing that your Holy Spirit accompanies us 
and will lead the way. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Marty Kennedy, thank you so much for sharing for sharing that story with us and, and encouraging us. And be assured that we'll we'll keep you in our prayers as you continue on working and we working. In the meantime, we go for a second piece of music. And this one, I couldn't help but play it. I, I, it came to mind straight away as soon as I heard that we were going to have Marjan. This one is by the Abbot of Mary. And this one is entitled, Go Tell Everyone. So let's hear this. God's spirit is in my heart. He has called me and set me apart. This is what I have to do. What I have to do. He sent me to bring the goodness to the poor. Tell prisoners that they are prisoners no more. Tell blind people that they can see. sent me so I'm sending you out to be my witnesses throughout the world the whole of the world He sent me to bring the goodness to the poor Tell prisoners that they are prisoners no more Tell blind people that they can see and serve the
sacred space.